Well, our hair's the same color. <laughs> I've been here like 18 years, and I have always thought, you better get something ready in case Paul doesn't, can't make it because he's sick or something like that. And for 18 years, I never got anything ready. But you know, <laughs> and that's not what this is. <laughs> I had lots of notice for this one. But, you know, one time, I was, had about uh, two weeks' notice. I, was, I just felt like God was saying to me, you better get something ready. Pastor Paul's going to ask you last minute to preach. 18 years, he's never done it. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, he's going to do it. And I thought, oh, yeah. And then so I thought, okay. And so I started working on uh, the book of James, the first chapter in the book of James. And uh, so I worked on that, and I studied it and did some background and stuff like that. But I never really pushed hard on it. Because I thought, yeah, that probably won't happen. But it felt like it was going to, so I got prepared fairly well. Like I did a lot of the background stuff on it and stuff like that. I walk in on the Monday morning, and Paul says, man, he says, uh, he says I'm exhausted. He says, do you think you could preach this Sunday? And I said, yep. And he looks at me and goes, really? <laughs> and I says, yeah. I said, God already told me that you were going to be asking me to do that. And I think it was even that Monday morning I felt like that God was going to ask me for the following Sunday. And I says, yeah, I can do it. I said, God already told me that you were going to be telling me to do this. Really? <laughs> okay. And then so if I would have went in the natural, if I would have went and looked at my calendar, there is no way I would have done that. Because I had that week on that Friday, I was pouring concrete, and uh, the week was just jam-packed. And it was amazing. But I felt so confident that God said, that God, Paul was going to do this, and Paul did this. I did some background, and so I just took it with me that week, and whatever I was doing, I just worked on it in between and stuff, and, and it all worked out. But praise God for a little notice from the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so Pastor Paul, he's away just this weekend. He's uh, at a, another church, and he's uh, teaching in his book of Revelation. They're doing a, a weekend series on Revelation, and they asked him if he'd come up and, and uh, share all day yesterday on Revelation, and so he's able to go up there and then maybe uh, sell the rest of the books that he's got and maybe take some orders from some more, and so he was pretty excited about going up and to be able to do that, and they were staying overnight, and they were preaching in the church there this morning, and so praise God, you know, Pastor Paul's getting to do that a little bit more. Well, um, this morning we're going to be talking about the book of Philemon and crime and all that kind of stuff that took place in the book of Philemon, and... Uh, you know, one thing that seems to be quite popular these days is this show Border Control and Live PD. I know that Karen and I are uh, two out of our seven grandkids. They just really like this stuff. And, and uh, so when they're there and we're downstairs on the couch, this is what they want to watch. Uh, uh, more the Border Control than the Live PD, but I like the Live PD. I kind of like to watch that one. You know, like crime stories have been a popular TV genre since the beginning of television. And back in the 1950s and 60s, we see this police drama known as Dragnet. And uh, Captain Joe Friday and Sergeant Bill Gannon tack, uh, track down criminals in a methodical, deadpan precision, sticking to just the facts. And, uh, of course, the justice is always triumph, and the lawbreakers are always put behind bars. And now we take rides in police cars, and we see the action, uh, live-action arrests via video. And we have nationwide criminal searches for the most America's most wanted, the nation's most wanted, and the goal is always to catch the thug and the delinquents and put them in prison. And um, 
Back in AD 62, a crime occurred in Colos, an unimportant corner of the Roman Empire, and it probably would have remained unsolved and historically unknown, except that the fugitive went to Rome and eventually met the Apostle Paul. Oh, and there was a, they didn't have very good cameras back there, so I just threw this picture in. <laughs> Google had it. <laughs> so we're going to be taking a look at the book of Philemon and uh, the story that's being told in this book. The letter was written by the Apostle Paul, who was a good friend of, uh, of Philemon's. They were friends with each other, and thus the name of the book. The story is about a runaway slave whose name is Onesimus, and he's making his escape from his master, and while he's making his escape, he took something from his master that didn't belong to him. And through his newfound freedom, he somehow ended up in Rome. We don't know whether Onesimus sought the Apostle Paul out uh, for refuge or he met him through other acquaintances. And at the time they come to know each other, the Apostle Paul was under house arrest waiting for trial from Nero. And Nero is known as one of the most vicious of all the Caesars uh, towards the Christians and how he would persecute them. And through continued conversation with Onesimus, Onesimus becomes a Christian. As he, and then his, what he started to do was help the Apostle Paul because in those, at this time in, in back in history like this, it was the family and the friends who met the needs and helped the inmates for food and, and keeping them warm and stuff like that because if they didn't do it, they didn't get much and it was a pretty rough experience. So this is what Onesimus and others had taken on to help Paul by helping him out and giving him some of the needs, things that he needed. Obviously, somewhere along the way, Onesimus must have confessed his uh, background and his relationship with his former master and his flight to freedom to the Apostle Paul. And uh, an interesting thing that in spite of Onesimus' newfound life in Christ, this did not mean Onesimus could now just go on his merry way and ignore his past. The Apostle Paul knew that Onesimus' past actions needed resolution so his present life could be lived honorably and in freedom before his Savior. And this is a good truth for all of us as God's people and as Christians to remember. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, drawing from the wisdom that God has promised to every one of us who ask for it, and walking out this Christian walk the way that God intended for us to walk it, as the light in this very broken and hurting world. You know, he's provided everything we need to do this. And it's a good thing for us to remember that as Onesimus past actions needed resolution, sometimes ours do as well. This little book of Philemon is very a personal letter surrounded by a true story of crime, faith, confession, grace, and forgiveness. The people involved in this letter have lived out God's picture of redemption as Onesimus, guilty of a crime, sought reconciliation with his master Philemon. Too often, like Onesimus, all of us, we run away from some of our problems in life. We're seeking freedom in all the wrong places, unable to contend with our past and find true freedom in the present. Yet I want to declare to you this morning that through a real intimate, personal relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, we too, like Onesimus, can find true release from the slavery of sin and the imprisonment of our past. And this is a big deal for us as Christians, a big deal that 
can make the difference between bondage and freedom, and depression and anxiety and peace. We tend to get frustrated and depressed and discouraged, and we, we get all tied up. Relationships don't work. Finances maybe don't seem to be working. We've got hurts and habits and hang-ups that we can't seem to get past. But in, in the midst of all of that, we need to keep one thing in mind, that it's not always a terrible, destructive, negative thing as we're working this stuff out in life. The big thing we've got to keep in mind is that we just need to keep seeking God in the midst of all of this because God promises to take us out of it all. So we can't get too down about ourselves and on ourselves. We just need to say, Lord, help me. Give me the wisdom. Help me to do your will. Help me to walk the walk that you've called me to walk. And he'll walk us, eventually walk us out of, of that those places. The Apostle Paul tells us that God is continually moving us towards himself so that we can experience healing and freedom, not only in the life to come, but also in the life in which we're living right now, here today, tomorrow, and every day after. The Apostle Paul, he speaks to the church in Athens, and it's really interesting to me what he says there. He says, God is the one who decided beforehand when every nation should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. You know, like God is not interested in just in st placing the boundaries for the nations. He's interested in your very personal life. And we can look at this and we can say, God is in control. We don't need to fret and worry about what we see happening in our country with governments and politicians and around our world as the darkness seems to be crowding in and insanity seems to be really floating around. We don't need to fret about that because it's God who is the one who decided beforehand when every nation should be rise or when they should fall and he determines their boundaries. Mankind thinks they're determining their boundaries. They're not determining their boundaries. God is the one in charge. His purpose was for all the nations to seek after God and perhaps find their, feel, their way or, uh, feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And it's when we recognize and confess our ability to save ourselves and seek the forgiveness and the guidance that God wants to give us only to save us then we experience this joyous liberty and reconciliation with God and eventually in all other relationships. The Apostle Paul knew that in order for Onesimus to live in integrity before his Savior today, he had to resolve his past mistakes. And that's not saying that we all have to go back. Now we all have to go back and dig up our past and stuff like that. But we all, we know of this, they're unresolved issues that we can do something about that maybe we've left behind because we become a Christian and we just went forward and never give a thought about maybe something that needs to be resolved. We have a great ministry here at the church. I'm getting ahead of myself. I was a business in a business venture one time a while back, a few years ago. I was asked to join this business as a silent partner with another brother, Christian brother. Over time, this project come complete, and equipment got sold off, and everything was pretty silent to the silent partner. None of the funds trickled back to the silent partner. And, uh, 
you know, like, did this bug me? Yes, this bugged me. It was, you know, for a while there, it was terrible because I was angry and I was just thinking all the time, thinking about how unfair this is, you know, a Christian brother, how could they do this? And it's just not right. And so then after all my stewing and kicking the dog and being miserable at home and just not being a good guy to be around, I had I'd come to conclude there was only two, one of two ways that I could deal with this. One was that I could let it bug me and turn me bitter and let me be an angry person and lose myself in it. Or I could forgive this brother and I could just let it go and just move on with my life. You know, life is too short for us to hang on to these things that we have little control over. And I didn't want it to hinder who I was. And I didn't want it to rob me and potentially my family of who I was and who they were. And I wanted to be happy in life. And I wasn't going to be happy if I was going to dwell on something that maybe happened that I maybe didn't like but yet couldn't do anything about. I could have raised a ruckus and could have maybe, you know, gone the way of the courts and all that kind of stuff. But I felt like, no, to let it go. One thing that I knew that, in, you know, one day I just felt the peace that everything's going to work out one day. And I wasn't feeling vindictive and I wasn't angry towards this brother. I just felt like, and it wasn't like everything's going to work out. All the stuff and the troubles in life are all going to work out in the run. We don't need to worry about these things. And so by the grace, I was able to let it go. And, you know, I knew that in my heart that one day, as all these things worked out, that this struggle was going to be just a waste of my energy, of my time and affect my family and affect everything about me. And so I let it go and I praise God I was able to. A number of years passed, 20, 25 years passed, and then we, I met up with this brother again. And just meeting up with him, talking to him, not even thinking about it. I had totally forgotten about it. He says to me, yeah, you remember that deal, project we were on together? And at first I didn't know what he was talking about. And then he mentioned a little more and then I thought, oh yeah, I remember that project we were on. And the first thing that I thought in my heart was I just was so excited that I actually forgot about it. I actually let it go and never thought about it again. And I was so thrilled about that and blessed. Well, my partner obviously didn't have peace for 20 or 25 years because they worked to make it right with us. They helped us out in a time when we needed a little bit of help and, and they worked hard. And if I would have hung on to the bitterness and the anger when he was trying to help us, trying to make things right, uh, I could have been bitter and angry and could have said, you know, that's not enough. Just think of the interest. Just think of the money. Just think of all of this stuff. I could have just been bitter and that relationship could have just stayed parted. But I was blessed. And I praise God I was blessed by it. Because only God can do that for us. As we surrender our wills to him, he can pour in what we need, poured into us. And then when this happens, I just prayed, God bless him. Bless him and bless his family. I pray that he prospers. I pray that he's successful. I pray that he's drawn to you and he becomes more like you. Because it's so easy in this world and in life to get offended. There's so much to get offended about. And then there's, you know, like scripture says, like Jesus says in Luke 6.32, he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. He also said that if you lend to those to whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. We cannot allow the offenses of our past 
unresolved actions or the present take and put us into bondage or keep us in bondage. You know, God doesn't want us to be bound up. He's made a way for all of us to be free. The world does not have an opportunity for this freedom outside of Christ. Nobody has this opportunity outside of Christ. But coming to know Jesus like Amy was preaching and Pastor Paul preaching, they'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's true freedom. And that's the freedom Onesimus in this story was searching after as he ran away. And it's not always easy to go back into our dark corners that we may have to go back to. We've got a great ministry at the church here that's called Freedom in Christ. And that ministry helps us to, you know, by the Spirit, being Spirit-led and a you know, systematic walking through process, learning how to resolve issues. And uh, it's just a great ministry that helps you to pray through situations in your life and discover things in your life that are maybe holding you back and truths that you need to know and freedom you need to be accessing and living that God has provided for each one of us. It's a great tool. Yep. In this letter to Philemon, Paul explained his situation and he asked him to treat Onesimus not as a runaway thieving slave, but now as a brother in Christ. Undeserved, unmerited favor is sought by Onesimus from his master Philemon, even though there was a very real potential of things going very badly for him. We have to understand that slave owners of that day, they had the right to do whatever they wanted to do with their, the slaves that they had, the people that were their slaves. And runaway slaves, one of four things generally happened to them. They were either branded as a slave, they would put a big brand on their forehead as a runaway slave. They would torture them, or they would kill them, or they would sell them. And Onesimus, he, they were a mere property to the, to the slave owners. And Onesimus comes to his master Philemon. He knows that he's done is not right by stealing from him when he left, let alone running away because he's his property. It's hard to imagine today that whole thing. But in that day, and he realizes that you know, what he did was not right and that he knew that there was a very high probability that the treatment that he would get when he went back would be extremely harsh. But yet he already has experienced true freedom. He was free enough that he could go back and face the consequences to deal with these past issues. And uh, any one of these punishments at the time would have been right in line culturally and acceptable and even expected. And so Philemon... He was a leader of a church in his home. And some believe that he was the leader of the Colossian church that the Apostle Paul writes to. He was a friend of Paul Onesimus, a runaway slave. And he is obviously disgruntled and discontent with his lot in life. He's a thief and he runs away and ends up in Rome in search of freedom. He meets the Apostle Paul and he becomes a Christian. He helps meet Paul's needs as Paul awaits a hearing from Nero which would have been pretty intense, waiting for a, a hearing from him. He returns home to face his past actions. The Apostle Paul, he's under house arrest for his work as a missionary in preaching the gospel. He learns Onesimus' relationship with his former mastery and his thievery and, and his flight to freedom. And Paul, he grows to care very much about Onesimus, and he introduces him to Jesus Christ. He recognizes Onesimus needs 
resolution from his past before he'll be able to live in true freedom today. And so Paul writes a letter encouraging Philemon to take Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a Christian brother. And then Paul is working to make this reconciliation easier by stating in verse 18 that if he owes you, has done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I will pay it back. So the Apostle Paul sends the letter back to, Onis, to Philemon, and he sends the letter with a man named Tychicus who was a leader in the Ephesian church, one of the leaders in the Ephesian church. And Onesimus and him walked together because it wasn't safe for Onesimus to be going back by himself because they were slave hunters at that time. And he would have more than likely got caught before he got home. And so it was not normal that the runaway slave would even return home because when he was returning home, there was not going to be a chance of a, a very good chance, very slim, that it wasn't going to go very badly for you when you got there. And so that was rare that he would go there. And so that I was reading and I'm studying this and I'm reading this... Um, letter to Philemon, I have many imaginations. And I just thought of, the, of uh, Tychicus and Onesimus coming and knocking on the door, and Philemon coming to the door, and there Tychicus hands him a letter. He says, um, Onesimus is coming home, and here's a letter from the Apostle Paul. And I thought, in my imagination, I thought of Philemon getting this letter. And the feeling I get as I've studied this is that Philemon, to me, I think would have been a contemplative man, a man that, that you know, cares about right and wrong. And um, so he takes this letter, and I just imagine him sitting back in a chair at home and reading through this letter. And this letter says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Imagine Paul writing this from prison and he knows that his days are numbered. Paul was executed not too many years after this. This is about AD, AD, uh, AD 62. And the Apostle Paul, I think, was uh, martyred by Nero, beheaded in about 64, 65. And so Paul knows that, you know, that it's coming. And if you read the, word to, uh, the book of Philippians, he wrote that as well at this time. In the book of Philippians, he's saying, you know, I pray that I can stand strong. And you, you get a feeling in the book of Philippians that, it's, uh, that he's, it's pretty intense and that he's nervous about what he's going to have to face. He's not sure what, but it's not going to be pretty. And in there, you feel the nervousness in the wording and as he's, as he's writing that letter to the Philippians. He says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your, your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become both useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he might take your place in helping me while I am here in chains for the gospel." 
But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so, I am, so that any favor that you do will not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but, as, um, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing you this in my own hand that I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And as I imagined Philemon reading that letter, I imagined him reading it twice, maybe three times, and sitting there and just thinking and pondering about everything that's gone on, Onesimus coming back, Onesimus becoming a Christian. And then I imagine him setting it down and just sitting in his chair and just praying. And here's an, a, a prayer that I imagined of him praying. And what I did was just take the scripture and pray the scripture. Lord Jesus, I pray for the wisdom in dealing with Onesimus. You know he is, has not been the easy person, an easy person and how he has affected the other's attitudes around my house. I need your wisdom and your strength and to do the right thing. Thank you that you have saved Onesimus and that you have brought him into your family, something that is impossible for any person to do because your word says that no man comes to you unless you draw them. Recognizing the mercy you have shown towards me, how can I show anything but mercy towards Onesimus? I know you're asking me to offer my body as a living sacrifice, and that, is the, that act is holy and pleasing to you, so that is what I do. I pray as the community seeks the gra- sees the grace I show to Onesimus, that it will help them to understand the grace and mercy that you're offering to each one of them. Give us your mind as you do, we do your will. May we be your hands and your feet in the service to our community. I realize my body is not my own, and it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am not my own. I was bought with a very, at a very high cross, cost. Therefore, I will honor you, Lord, when my body, because my body is meant for your purposes, regardless of the sacrifices I may have to make. Thank you that you have given me the wisdom liberally as I have asked for every decision that I've had to make. May my life be hidden in you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that that is our prayer. Because that's what God is saying. Will you give me your life? And I know I am no different than any of you. And I know that it's not easy to be totally surrendered all the time. And praise God for his grace and his mercy and prayer and his uh, hand that he extends out to us that when we recognize that we're, hey, maybe we're leaning off the wrong way a bit, we can just come to him and say, God, forgive me, I'm sorry. And he's just always got his arms open. I think that that's changed me more than anything else in my life is that when I have been sinful and wrong and done something that is obviously not Christian, and then coming to the Lord and feeling like, man, it would be easier, Lord, if you would just slap me upside the head than to every time I look at you and your arms are wide open to me. 
That's what's broken me more than a slap upside the head. A slap upside the head would have felt better because the open arms is so convicting. It's like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I'm doing. And, you know, as we get older, like I turned 61 last month or January. And as we get older, it seems like the things of this world, they do grow strangely dim. When we're young, we're zealous and we get, we're ambitious and we, we see like we want to reach for the stars. And that's a good thing because if we were all like me, whereas like I feel like I might be when I'm 80, there's not going to be a whole lot getting done. <laughs> you know, so praise God for the zeal of the young. But I want to encourage the young. Lean on the people that are a little bit older because there's a wisdom there that can only be gained from life and living life. And like that wisdom that's gained through a lot of hard knocks. No matter how hard we try to do the right thing, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. And when you've got friends that are a little bit older, you come alongside, they put their arm around you, and they just sort of want something that's like, it's like <laughs> the biggest deal in the world to you. They just sort of smile, and they say, it'll be okay, because they know it's going to be okay. And they can give you some wisdom, some wise ideas of how to work your way out of the situations. That's why we need each other as a family. We need the young and the old together. You know, and that's what makes the body of Christ. And, you know, I don't know, maybe there's somebody here that you've never met Jesus as your personal Savior, and this sounds foreign to you, you know, and we think, you know, this is just a religion. This is not just a religion. This is the truth. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, he says, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. He did all of this in the natural. And he's doing all of this today in the natural, but also in the spirit realm, where we can be set free from these things from our past. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, you know, who are called according to his purposes. And that's a great thing. If you're feeling condemned about anything, that's either... Stuff that you haven't dealt with and you need to say, okay, you need to face up and you need to go back and like Onesimus and, and clean things up maybe in your past. Or it's just a lie from the pit of hell that does, has no foundation. He's speaking his native tongue when he's lying. God has good in mind for his people. And he wants us to be a witness to these people in our city that for the most part have no idea of the truth. And they're going to see it in you and I. And so, with that being said, I'm going to have a stand, and we're going to close the service. And as we close the service, I think we're, I don't know if we're on time or early, I don't know what time I'm supposed to be done. <laughs> I think we're a couple minutes early, but I want us just to maybe bow our heads and just ask the Holy Spirit to come and to search our hearts. Lord, we do come before you. We thank you, Father, Jesus, that you rose from the dead, that you sent your spirit to live within us. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place this morning. There are so many hearts in this room with so many different circumstances at so many different places in life. There's some awful tragedy that's going on in, our, in some lives where there's so much pain of lost loved ones. We think of a brother in our congregation that lost his brother who was early 40s, Father God, and the grief that is going on in, in those hearts, Lord. I know exactly what that's like. And we pray for our brother, and we pray that you would just strengthen him and encourage him as only you can do.
We thank you that it's times like that we feel your arms around us. When we're hurting the most, Lord, we sense and feel your presence so much stronger. And Lord, there's people that have had past things come upon them that they had no control over in innocence, Lord God, and there's hurts from that. I pray that you would just reach down and touch that heart right now. In the name of Jesus, I just speak healing to those hearts and those spots. Lord, there's some of us who have been in financial situations, whether it's of our own doing or, or, or just the way circumstances went and we've lost stuff that was meaningful to us or it was something we were maybe building our life on that maybe you wanted to take. Whatever that is, Lord God, and we feel a loss there, I pray that you would just move in and help us to put things in the right perspective and be able to surrender these things to you, Lord God. I thank you that you can take these things and you can remove them from our memories when we don't focus on them and we allow our center of our lives to be you. And Lord, we just pray for all the situations in this body right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just touch every heart. And only you know, Lord God, you know exactly where you need to touch. And I just release you to touch every spot in Jesus' name. And so, Lord, we go to this week as people that are walking hand in hand with you. And we ask that you'd go before us and that you'd come behind us and that we would be a light and bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all.